It's here in the city. It's here in the city. This is here in the city. This is here in the city. I'm Sarah Harris. I'm Sarah Harris. New message. Truth should be truth. But then it depends on, in the telling, whose truth is it. We're here most Tuesdays, bringing you radio realities from the urban landscape and mapping the city with voices of creative social change in and around Los Angeles. On Pacifica Radio, powered by the people, thanks to the generous support of you, our listeners, the capable crew at KPFK, the innovators of web-based radio at SoundCloud, news you might have missed at newsdesk.org, and the community-funded reporting project, Spot Us. You can find us on the web at here in the city. That's H-E-A-R in the city.org. Good afternoon, KPFK listeners, and to those of you listening to our show on the web. Today is Tuesday, June 14th, 2011. I'm Sarah Harris. Today on Here in the City, we are talking about the passage of time. We'll enter the space of the meticulous 24-hour-long video documentation of one entire day in Christian Markley's new work, The Clock. And we'll consider the expanded day of June 16, 1904, in the life of one Leopold Bloom, as Bloom's Day is recognized by readers around the world. All of our lives are assaulted. All of us experience unjustified condemnation for this, that, of the other thing. But nevertheless, to go through our lives seeking to do the good. But first we join a lament about someone who is not serving time anymore. You are registered with us to receive updates about an offender whose last name is Mazer M-E-H-S. E-R-L-E. I'm calling to tell you that there has been a change in this offender's custody status. This offender is no longer in custody. The change took place on June 13, 2011. That's the Department of Corrections status update for former Bay Area Rapid Transit police officer Johannes Messerly. This past Friday, L.A. County Superior Court Judge Robert J. Perry ruled that Meserly, who shot and killed 22-year-old unarmed Oscar Grant on a train platform in Oakland in 2009, should be released because of time served and good behavior. Reporter Tandisizwe Shimorenga has covered Oscar Grant's shooting and Johannes Messerly's trial. She was at the jail yesterday in the early hours of Monday morning when Messerly was released from the Los Angeles County Jail. So, Tandi, when when you were there with Oscar Grant's family, was there anything that, that they had to say upon hearing that Messerly had been released? Well, you know, they're... they're they were upset that it was it was done, you know, kind of like you know a sneaky type of thing in the middle of the night. 
when no one was around. It, it was done. It was not done in, under the light of day. Uh, there was no way for there to be a visual confrontation to take place. And as Uncle Bobby stated, there was supposed to have been a hearing on Monday morning. He wanted to speak at that hearing to again register his dissatisfaction and his disappointment, but that had been canceled because of the order signed by Judge Perry on Friday ordering Mesley's release in the dead of night on Sunday. So they're, uh, they're not surprised, they are disappointed, and they say it's not over, they're going to continue to struggle for justice for Oscar Grant. And people did gather at the district courthouse on Monday morning to protest Meserly's release. At the courthouse, they talked about the death of justice, about the fact that Meserly was sentenced and did less time in jail than Michael Vick got for abusing animals, allegedly killing a dog. And so it just underscores, again, the value of black life from what we thought was the justice system. It's coming from the highest system, and it, it confirms what we thought all along, that black life is cheap. Very little value placed on it. Last year, when the verdict came down, the San Francisco office of the Department of Justice said that they had opened an investigation into this case, and they were looking into it. So once they finished protesting at the courthouse, they marched, which... Uh, not too far to the Department of Justice Los Angeles office, which is not too far from the courthouse, to demand that the results of that investigation either be released or sped up and that charges be filed against not only Johannes Mersley, but the other officers on that platform that uh, New Year's Day 2009, specifically Anthony Peroni, whose actions created the entire situation that led to Oscar Grant losing his life. And we're speaking with Tande Sizwe Shimarenga, who's a reporter who's been covering the trial and is writing a book about the case. And is this the last legal decision in Meserly's case, or does something else follow? Well, he has appealed his conviction. He was also granted a new trial around the issues regarding a gun enhancement that was thrown out by Judge Robert Perry, and he is on parole. Uh, his parole will be handled by the California Department of Corrections. He probably will not have to check in with anyone down here, but we do not know what the terms of his parole uh, are. So he, we don't know if he has to check in with anyone. We don't know if he has to remain in the state of California. Uh, and again, because he was granted a new trial by Robert Perry, uh, it's possible he will make a reappearance in Los Angeles at some point in time. Uh, we don't know that just yet. Also, the civil trial is proceeding now that the family of Oscar Grant and the family of the young men who were with him that night on that platform have against BART, the Bay Area Rapid Transit Authority. So that case is on, uh, it has started and is currently going on. And interestingly enough, in the last month, the a, a, an Alameda County judge ruled that BART was not responsible for Oscar Grant's death and the treatment of those young men. It Basically, the judge stated that those individual officers acted so out of line that they cannot seek immunity as police officers. So basically, they're saying that, you know, you officers or you, you, you people who uh, had police authority, you are responsible for the death of Oscar Grant, which is what we said all along. So there are a few bad apples, and Johannes Messerly, because he's been convicted, 
and serve time for a felony will not return to the BART uh, police force. Our understanding is that, uh, yes, that's correct, and he cannot be hired as a police officer in California. He can, however, be hired as a police officer elsewhere, because uh, even though it is involuntary manslaughter, it is a non-violent, non-serious felony. It could quite possibly be expunged from his record, and again, he is appealing that conviction. So, you know, this is the kind of thing that you, it, it, it really did not end today. And we should not be surprised to look up 10 years from now and see him wearing a police uniform. You're listening to Here in the City. On June 6th, Christian Markley won the Golden Lion at the Venice Biennale for his 24-hour-long video, The Clock. The video itself lasts for 24 hours. And in it, Markley documents every minute of passage of time in scenes and shots from countless films and videos and puts them all together in this obsessive compilation. Here in the City, arts editor Jesse Lerner has been following Markley's career, and he went to see one unique, full-length screening of The Clock at the Los Angeles County Museum of Art. I first came across the work of Christian Markley in New York, where he's collaborated with the likes of John Zorn and Ardo Lindsay. For several decades now, he's been an active figure in the free improvisation scene centered in downtown Manhattan. Markley's instrument is the turntable, and he scratches like a freewheeling deconstructivist, gleefully mashing up LPs and 45s into a heady, delirious mess. Around the same time that the first generation of hip-hop DJs were using the turntable in ways previously unimagined, Markley was also transforming this machine from being simply a tool for reproducing music to a tool for creating it. I love his version of Johann Strauss, from his 1984 recording, More Encores. to this musical career, Markley also emerged as a major visual artist, or should I say, audiovisual artist, as most of his gallery and museum works also revolve around the themes of noise, music, and sound. The Los Angeles County Museum of Art recently purchased Markley's 24-hour single-channel video, The Clock, and showed the work in its entirety in a marathon round-the-clock screening. The video is composed entirely of appropriated images, lifted from thousands of narrative films, famous and obscure, from both the U.S. and from elsewhere. Anything from When Harry Met Sally 
to Godard's weekend. All this repurposed material either features clocks or watches, or shows the film's characters speaking of some aspect of time. The video is edited in such a way that the time on the screen always corresponds with the time off the screen. That is to say, when it's two o'clock in the afternoon, we see a host of actors, famous or less so, walking past clocks that chime two, checking their pocket watches that read two o'clock, and so on. The video will be on view during Lachman's regular hours, next door to a traveling exhibition of a remarkable collection of 15th-century tomb sculptures from Dijon, France, frozen in their grief, exiled from time, until July 31st. Don't miss it. Rock and roll music. That's For here in the city, this is Jesse Lerner. You say, well, preacher, you play music with a beat. There's nothing but I don't want. I won't. I read that and I thought, my... The music scene... They were going to do it and engaging in the sex act. And they're asked the question when police dare not step in with the air thick with marijuana smoke. They had one right near Baton Rouge the other day. A hundred thousand kids were there. The huge speakers that, that beat out the music as, as dope filled entertainers and performers, performers beat upon the guitars and drums in the streets. Those young people that ripped off the clothes and, and acted like animals. We asked the question, why by the police? They said, it's the music. It's the music. It gets down in you, it washes over you and beats upon your brain. And I really didn't know what I was doing, they said. I just pulled up my clothes and I had to do it. When you start to feel the heat. And you boys and girls have Beatle records at home. This is the most rotten, dirty, damnable, filthy, putrid, filth that this nation of the world has ever seen. That's his master's voice by Christian Markley from his 1989 release called Records of Cassette Deck Recordings and Live LP DJ Mixes. This is Here in the City. We'll be back with more musings on the concept of time. This is what it is. This is what it's going to be. You are listening to Here in the City on KPFK 90.7 FM in Los Angeles. 98.7 FM in Santa Barbara. 93.7 FM in San Diego. And 99.5 FM in Ridgecrest and China Lake. An archive and a podcast of our shows is at Here in the City, that's H-E-A-R in the City, dot org. And at kpfk.org, you can like us on Facebook. If you like. And visit us at our website, hereinthecity.org. And follow us on Twitter. Uh, in, in one chapter of Ulysses, uh, Bloom is transformed into Elijah or Christ, depending upon how you want to see it. And he rises at 45 degrees, or at least he moves off from a bar at 45 degrees toward heaven. And and he cries, Abba, Adoshem, right? (laughs) 
and uh, and uh, he actually uses the real word, which means father. Father, my lord. Joyce is very, very realistic, despite the strange language he uses sometimes. And so the question becomes, why, why did Joyce do this? Why, what does he mean, rising at 45 degrees? He got into a carriage and rode off and rose at 45 degrees. Well, I went to the bar. He was leaving. And I stood there, and I looked across the street, and at 45 degrees, your carriage will hit the curb. And you'll bounce up. So this is a, a mapping device, essentially. It's in, essentially, it's a mapping device. And if you just read the text, you think he's rising at 45 degrees. What he's doing is crossing the street at 45 degrees, hitting the curb, and the carriage bounces up. This takes place at an, at an earlier time when Bloom has gone to see uh, Mr. Cunningham, a very distinguished gentleman, uh, in an attempt to figure out how to avoid the insurance company finding out that their friend, Patty Dignam, committed suicide. On the occasion of his funeral. After, after his funeral, right. Uh, both of them gave money to the family, their own money. Bloom's a very generous man. Uh, and, uh, and now they're trying to figure out how to get the family the insurance money. And so Bloom agrees to meet Martin Cunningham at this bar. It, it requires me to tell you a little story first. Earlier in the day, Bloom was walking with his newspaper under his arm, and uh, a friend came up to him, an acquaintance came up to him and said, Oh, Bloom, can I borrow the newspaper? I want to check uh, the odds on Scepter, a horse in the Ascot race, which is the favorite, and I'm going vo- I'm gonna, I'm gonna to bet on him, but I'm not sure... Uh, what the odds are. So Bloom says, here, here, here's the newspaper. You can take it away. I, 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 I was just, I, I just going to th- throw it out. Uh, and, and, and the guy looks at him and uh, thinks and says, I'll do it. And he gives back the newspaper. And uh, Bloom doesn't understand what happened. Well, it turns out there's a horse called Throwaway in the race. Bloom was going to throw away his newspaper. This guy thought Bloom gave him a hint, a betting hint, uh, a tip, and, and he's going to go and bet on throwaway. Well, we don't know what happens until later in the day. It turns out that guy went to the window to bet on throwaway, and the guy behind the window said, don't bet on that horse. It's 20 to 1. You're going to... You're going to lose all your money. Just bet on Scepter and take whatever he gets in the way of small odds. So he bets on Scepter. Throw away won the race. <laughs> and how many pages further on into the book do we find out what actually happened? Hundreds. Okay. So hundreds of pages later, when Bloom is coming to this bar to meet Martin Cunningham, the race is over. The guy who was going to bet on throwaway, came to the bar, told everybody about Bloom's tip, and everybody thinks Bloom is the only person in Dublin who won big money on this horse. Although he knew nothing of what he'd done. Which he has no idea of. So, so he walks into the bar, and everyone's sitting there somewhat annoyed, and they expect Bloom to buy drinks for everyone. He won big money. And Bloom comes in and... Uh, he, he doesn't buy drinks and doesn't even ask for a drink for himself, you know. 
and there's a guy there named the Citizen, who's a big, heavy, one conception person. His one conception is Irish nationalism. So he's the Cyclops. He's not one-eyed, but he's one thought, <laughs> right? And he says, well, I'll buy a drink for you, Bloom. And Bloom says, no, 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 thanks. I'm just here looking for Martin Cunningham. And they get angry and they begin to attack him. Uh, and, 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 and the citizen finally ends up attacking Jews. First he says, are you willing to fight for Ireland, Bloom? And Bloom says, well, you know, to tell you the truth, I'm, a, I'm, against, I'm against hate. What are you for, Bloom? And Bloom says, well... I'm against hate and for love. <laughs> so it's for these these multiple perceptions that occur on one particular day, which happens to be June 16th, 1904, that brings us here uh, at the Garden of the Grove House at the Claremont Colleges with Professor Al Wachtel, who is an expert on James Joyce and other things and people literary to talk about this particular day in 1904 and why it matters. Yes, and, and in fact, I think this is the most important work of fiction in English of the 20th century. And the reason it is is not because it gives people like me many years of research material to work through, but because it actually tells people what in the 20th and 21st centuries constitutes a heroic life. And this particular incredible epic work of fiction um, has a certain element of documentary in it in the passage of a day. Yes, yes. In fact, the passage of this day is the equivalent of the passage of 10 years in Odysseus's life in the story of Homer. <laughs> and uh, I think that needs some explaining. <laughs> okay. The book is called Ulysses. Why is it called Ulysses? It's called Ulysses because in Joyce's mind, each of us relives the past. We aren't necessarily the reincarnation of people who lived before. In fact, he's sure we're not. But we are, in one way or another, the reinstantiation of the kind of person who existed before in a new context. So, uh, Odysseus navigated the Mediterranean Sea. <laughs> he got lost there. He wandered there for 10 years. Uh, he finally got home, and he cleansed his home. Leopold Bloom wakes up in the morning, goes out into the streets of Dublin, navigates those difficult areas, and hours later finally gets home and cleanses his home. The minutia and details of a day, and as you've pointed out, Professor Wachtel, the, the going back and forth in memory uh, between people and intersecting, that it becomes more than just a day, but rather a metaphor for a larger period of time. Right. In fact, all time for Joyce is connected. Uh, so that if the original Odysseus were alive in 1904, he'd be like Bloom. <laughs> if Bloom were alive in Odysseus's time, he'd probably be like Odysseus, you see, or like, like Jesus in Jesus' time and so on. But Bloom is a kind of cheese. <laughs> He's gone through Dublin, 
being rejected, being attacked. His wife is going to be um, sexually uh, satisfied by another man at four o'clock today. Um, he has a series of difficulties. Um, and yet, he issues forth from all of these difficulties, not seeking to cause trouble, but instead seeking to bring peace, love, financial security, safety for Stephen Dedalus, his ersatz son. Upon its publication, this book uh, was in print and available for a certain amount of uh, release on the European continent, but upon its export to the U.S. and the U.K. was not so gladly received, in fact. Well, in fact, it was originally published by Shakespeare and Company, a, a book company. Uh, it wasn't published by a normal publisher. Um, it was considered obscene. Uh, Joyce um, fills it with sexual matters, um, and indeed it, it be, began to be accepted in the United States only after a, a, a judge declared that it wasn't obscene. It was, in fact, repugnant in terms of its sexuality. <laughs> That 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 made it acceptable. Um, <laughs> this is post prohibition, 1933 or so. They rescinded the that, Supreme Court order. That's right. In 1934, it gets published um, by Random House because of the genius and appreciation of literature by Bennett Cerf, who was at that time the owner of the company. Uh, now passed away. Needless to say. Well, this is here in the city, and we are sitting in a beautiful garden in Claremont, California, with Professor Al Watel, who is an expert in the works of James Joyce and other uh, works of English literature. And we're talking about Bloomsday, which is June 16, 1904. What is it about this book to, to leave your own expertise and, and do fascination with it that becomes so fascinating for an international audience a hundred years or more after its creation? Okay, that's actually a very good question. Um, what Joyce did, um, and he was accompanied in doing this by a few others, uh, perhaps the greatest being Virginia Woolf, uh, what Joyce did was free the novel of plot, of conventional plot. So this isn't the story that's been twisted and turned in order to fulfill some kind of overriding action. In fact, what he's managed to do is tell the story of the daily life of ordinary human beings in such a manner as to raise it to great significance. And that fascinates people of all kinds and of all callings. Thank you. You're very welcome, Sarah. First kiss does the trick. The propitious moment. Something inside them goes pop. Mushy-like. Tell by their eye on the sly. First thoughts are best. Remember that till their dying day. Molly, Lieutenant Mulvey, that kissed her under the Moorish wall beside the gardens. Fifteen, she told me, but her breasts were developed. Fell asleep then. After Glencree dinner, that was when we drove home the Featherbed Mountain gnashing her teeth in sleep. Lord Mayor had his eye on her, too. Val Dillon, apoplectic. There she is with him, down there for the fireworks. We'll have links to Bloomsday events in Los Angeles and around the world at our website here in the city.
That's H-E-A-R-in-the-city.org. And that's it for Here in the City today. Special thanks to Jesse Lerner, Luis Sierra Campos, Tandisizwe Shimarenga, Daniela Gerson, Sabiha Khan, Albert Chacon, Rachel Salmon, Will Coley, Holly Harper, Karen Ness, and to you, our listeners. We will be back next week with more radio realities from the urban landscape. Until then, you can find us on the web at Here in the City. That's H-E-A-R in the city dot org. I'm Sarah Harris. Signing off. To yapping on. When you go in and out, may you have peace and level and safe. Yes. Be safe. Peace.